Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Well, good morning, church. Wow, well, that was a great worship service, huh? Don't you think so? Anybody agree with me or no? Yeah, I thought so. Um, I'm, uh, I'm sad to leave you all. Uh, I really am. And, uh, but I will say that, you know, as Ashley, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a moment, but um, when Ashley felt the calling into ministry and she heard from God to go to Southeastern University and study God's Word so that she could preach the gospel, I told her, I said, if God calls you somewhere, I'll go and be the pastor's husband. I'll go do that. Um, And so, you know, I had to kind of um, stick to my word and and support her in in many ways, too. So anyways, hallelujah for women in ministry. Hallelujah. Um, I'm going to um, tell you a brief story to help you understand what's been on my heart for the last couple of weeks. Um, We actually had just got back a couple weeks ago from taking our students, our EU students, to the Ocala National Forest. We spent five days there, and the first three nights, we were helping with one of the Camp Sozo um, events. And um, so there were a bunch of kids um, in the underprivileged area of the Ocala National Forest, and they all came to Camp Sozo. And the students that we brought here from Everyday Church were helping out with the camp and were supporting the students and the underprivileged community in the Ocala National Forest. And the first three nights we were helping with camp. The fourth day, Thursday, we actually went out to a home and we helped restore it so that um, they might be eligible to have foster children there. And so we actually worked really hard and cleaned it up the best we could. And I I believe their um, goal is to go back again um, and, and continue to improve it. But while we were there on the trip, they uh, spontaneously asked me to speak on the Wednesday night. And I'm a little reluctant to do that, but I want to tell you what motivated me. There's this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, and it says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So as Christians, we should always be prepared at any time to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ anytime someone asks you. So when they said, are you ready? I said, sure, I can always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that I have in Christ. I actually said that to them. And so what um, what I spoke about that third night at camp was just that, always being prepared (laughs) to have a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. And so what I did and what I do actually even on Wednesday nights before we go out into the community and witness to people, because for the past past three years we've actually done that, we've, um, before every Easter, we've taken the students out to one of the nearby neighborhoods and have them go door to door and advertise some of our Easter events and also have an opportunity to pray for them and witness to them and provide them with gift cards for groceries. Um, So anyways, before we go out with the students here at Everyday Church, I always have them give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ because that's important. You never know when somebody's going to ask you, why do you believe? So that night at camp that we just got back from, I had the students there who were serving on the trip, not the children that were attending, but the students that were serving, I had them do that. I said, take about a minute and think about the reason why you believe. And there was one student there, and he gave some of the most profound reasons. A little middle school boy in an underprivileged community gave some of the most profound reasons for why he believed, even better than when I first had a reason. I'll tell you about that in a minute. This is what he said. He got up to the mic, and he said, I believe in Christ because I have seen his miracles and wonders And he even started listing off specifically the things that he saw Christ do in his life. Isn't that amazing? 
Um, so he continued, he gave a few examples of some of the things that he had seen. And I was touched when I heard him say this. And I'm not a crier, but I think somebody was chopping onions when I was there. And I told him, after he had shared all that, that he was going to enter the kingdom of heaven faster than all of these religious leaders who have their eyes closed to the mighty works and wonders of God. Because this little farm forest boy had his eyes open to the mighty works and wonders and miracles that Christ had poured out in his life, and he was able to see it and proclaim the truth. And that was amazing. I was excited about that. And my favorite moments uh, working in youth and kids' ministry are when Christ makes himself known and opens youth and children's eyes to see his mighty works. Now, ironically, when I was first put on the spot to answer this question, I didn't do as well as this forest boy did, this Ocala National Forest Boy. And I use the term forest boy because I grew up in the forest too, and we call ourselves forest boys. Um, now, when I was serving on staff in Snohomish, Washington, Ashley and I took students on a missions trip in 2017 to Oroville. is a small town about 10 minutes south of the border of Canada. Now, while we were there, we had the opportunity to go door to door and witness to people, but our main mission was simply being the hands and feet of Christ. So when we went door to door and we knocked and people opened, we simply asked, what do you need? What can we do? And then we did whatever they needed. Some people needed their yards raked. Some people needed their yards mowed. Some people needed things cleaned out. And we did that. We were just being the hands and feet of Christ in that community. Now, when you do door-to-door -door ministry, you might come upon interesting characters. <laughs> and I'll admit that we came upon a house where this woman gave us some significant challenges. And she asked us some questions, and if I'm being quite vulnerable, we didn't know how to answer, myself included. She was really asking what was permissible and not permissible in the Christian faith and why. I'm not going to go into details about what she asked, maybe later if you ask me. But she was asking, why is this allowed and this not? Why? What is allowed and what is not? And why? Over and over and over again. So then we uh, felt a little discouraged, felt a little bit defeated. And when we went back to the church we were staying at that evening, I shared it with another youth pastor who was there. And he simply asked me this, well, did you tell her why you believe? And I said, well, I guess I didn't, you know. And he suggested that as Christians, we should always have a reason why we believe and be prepared to give it at any time. When we witness to other people, it isn't about arguing over doctrine and over creation and over the flood. It's about testifying to the work that Christ has done in your life. That's what being a witness really is. And so when my friend asked me, he wasn't asking rhetorically, he actually wanted me to answer. He said, why do you believe? So I answered very logically. And I'm going to share this reason for you. So I told my youth pastor friend in Oroville, Washington, I said, my faith rests in the historical Jesus. I said, when we look deeper into the gospel of Luke, we can see significant historical evidence of a real Jesus. Luke chapter one, verses one through four says this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke, the author, is not simply saying, 
Hey, I wrote some things down. Now read this. He's saying, you can trust this writing because I have carefully investigated and written an orderly, well-researched account. Really, the genre of the book of Luke is historical narrative. That's really what it is. Now, if you look closer, he was writing to someone named Theophilus, and he refers to him as most excellent. It's likely that he was writing to someone of a higher class or authority, and because of his credibility as a physician, he may have even been commissioned. So you have somebody who's credible in society, he can write really well, he can take orderly accounts, and he's writing this historical narrative concerning the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to a Roman official and he may have been commissioned to write that account. Now, not only does this give us a historical account of the life of Christ, but there's evidence that it's even an objective or unbiased account. I'll show you in a moment. In Paul's farewell letter to the Colossians in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, he seems to be describing those with him who are also sending greetings to the church. Now, when referencing each, he acknowledges their faith. To Aristarchus and Mark, he referred to them as Jews. Epiphas, he considers to be a servant of Christ. But when he references Luke, he leaves that off. He says this in Colossians 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Damas. With the pattern that Luke was writing, or with the pattern that Paul was writing, it's likely that had Luke had a faith at the time, he might have included that in his greeting, but he left that out. So again, it's likely that we have this objective or unbiased narrative with this historical account of Christ. You can't get any better than that, people. Oh my gosh. Now, after sharing all of this with my youth pastor friend, he seemed to enjoy hearing my understanding, and, and, and he enjoyed hearing the narrative that I offered and the historical veracity, but he challenged me a bit further. He asked, well, how have the scriptures revealed themselves as true in your own life? This required me to think of what Christ has done in me and around me, and in others. And I want to tell you, there's a difference from believing in a Jesus who was then and there, and a Jesus who was alive yesterday, today, and forever. There's a big difference from that. And that was my flaw. That's why this little boy from the forest, this middle school boy, I was like touched. Like this guy gets it in middle school that he can see God's mighty works and wonders and be a witness of them at such a young age. And here I was talking about a historical Jesus. But again, there's a difference from a Jesus that you believe in who only existed then and there and a Jesus who exists yesterday, today, and forever and who is a living God who reveals himself to us daily. So I've obviously changed my answer. If you ever ask me, well, Johnny, can you give a defense for the reasons for the hope that you have in Christ, I'll tell you something much different than I did. And I want to take a moment to be a witness to you all. Can I do that this morning? I want to tell you some of the mighty works and wonders that I've seen God do in my own life. And again, it's the, uh, it's the onions. It's the onions. <laughs> okay. In 2016, Ashley and I took students to a youth camp in Washington State. And if you have ever been to a youth camp, you know, listen, no matter how hard you work out, no matter how buff you think you are, you are tired on that last night of camp. I don't care how tough you think you are, Max. Listen, I don't, I don't care how tough you think you are. You're tired on that fourth night. You looked at me like you could handle it. Listen, I don't care how tough you think you are. On that last night of camp, you are exhausted. I remember being so physically exhausted there was this big altar call. All of the students are coming forward. They're getting saved. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I went and prayed for them. But I was so physically exhausted that I went back and sat in my seat after praying with a few, if I'm being honest. I did pray for some kids. But I went back down and sat in my seat physically exhausted. And before I even had the opportunity to pray, I felt a rushing wind of the Holy Spirit and I was rejuvenated just like that. And I got no pain in my body and I was able to get back up and continue praying for students to receive the Holy Spirit and to be healed and forgiven and all of that good stuff. Because Christ did a mighty work that allowed me to continue to witness and minister to students. That was one thing that I experienced. Now, and on New Year's Eve in 2017, going into 2018, Ashley and I decided to spend New Year's Eve praying with a couple. So we kind of prayed in the new year. And we had been trying to have a baby for almost a year. And while we were praying, God revealed to the husband that we were praying with that we were going to find out that we were having a baby and he predicted the month. And in that same month, we found out that we were going to be having Abby that same exact month. So we had been trying for over a year. We went and prayed on New Year's Eve and God revealed to this guy. He said, listen, you're going to find out in X month that you're going to be having a baby. And we certainly did. And it is a mighty work of God. You have to open your eyes and see the truth. In 2021, Ashley developed COVID pneumonia. And I remember we were very hesitant on going to the hospital because um, honestly, uh, the turnout didn't seem to work in anyone's favor or most favor, if, I mean, if I'm being honest. So we just had conversations and we said, we're gonna wait as long as we possibly can before we take you to the hospital. And I remember I went to go get groceries and she called me and said, I need to go to the hospital, I can't breathe. And she was coughing on the phone, she couldn't catch her breath. And so when I get home, she's having these coughing spells, she can't breathe, she's going in and out of consciousness. And I'm having to walk her to the car. She's fainting in our front yard. And I have to lift her, get her in the car. And we're going to the hospital, she's floating in and out of consciousness. I'm slapping her, sometimes a little bit hard, because it's fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm slapping her to help her <laughs> regain her consciousness um, because she was out. She doesn't remember this. And I asked um, you all to pray in our Facebook group. And I remember on the way there, I laid hands on her chest. And I said, God, heal her so that the glory of God could be revealed. And as we got to the hospital and she got out of the car, before they provided any medical treatment, she was breathing all on her own and she was completely fine. It was a mighty work of God. And remember I said, I asked that um, God would reveal, or, or, or that God would heal her so that his glory could be revealed. And that same year God called her to go to Southeastern University so that she could learn to uh, ministry studies and preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> Last year, I started working more explicitly with students with um, disabilities, specifically students with autism. And I had a student who was nonverbal from birth. He was mute. He had never spoke in his life. And um, students with uh, autism can have sens seek sensory input. And so um, I had kids that would crawl when I'm sitting in a chair. They would crawl behind my chair and like tuck themselves in there. I'm like, what are you doing? Get out of here. And um, uh, but they, they like to grab you and touch you and move you all around. You know, I, constantly I'm like, no, stop touching me. But um, when they would grab me, when they would grab my arms, I used that as an opportunity to pray for them. And this child who had been mute from birth, I said, God, open his mouth so that the greatest mysteries of the kingdom could be revealed through this child. And that same day that child spoke. Yeah. There's nothing special about me, I'm telling you. There's nothing. I, I'd be terrified to say if it had anything to do with me. I'm, on, I'm in the pulpit right now. I'm in the hot seat. I'd be terrified to say if it had anything to do with me. It's all from the mighty works of God. Um, let's see. Uh, just this year, Ashley and I were, um, you know, uh, um, you know, we always kind of have little events with Abby, and, and Easter was approaching, and 
This was the weekend before Easter. And Abby came to us and she said, I had a dream of Jesus walking around in everyday church. And I asked her, I said, where was he? And she said, he was in the kids area. A little child was having a dream of Jesus walking in the kids area in this church. The mighty works of God are revealed to little children. I'm going to read about it in scripture. It's the onions. It's the onions, I'm telling you. Um, I got plenty that I can tell you. Um, This year, one of our students uh, decided to do a personal essay for fine arts. Y'all remember that? She got up here and she shared her testimony. Yeah, Haley Taylor. Y'all remember her? I don't see her. Is she here? No, I don't see her. Okay, good. Um, You know, um, I believe, you know, in John 6, it says this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. I believe that everybody who comes to Christ is drawn by the father and it's the father's will that everyone would come to know him. And so this uh, student, um, I know I have permission to share this because she wrote a testimony and I'm only sharing what's in the testimony. Um, but in the testimony, she revealed how she didn't want to be in church. She didn't want to be there that night. But our good missionary, Haley Lane, brought her in. <laughs> and, but when she was there, she said this. She said this in her testimony that she read out loud. And it, I was moved when she said this because it revealed the scriptures as true. She said this in her testimony that she shared um, a couple months ago. I was so drawn by the story of Christ I decided to keep going. So drawn by the story of Christ, I decided to keep going. The Father draws people to himself. We even um, had a student reach out to us from Washington not too long ago because when Ashley and I started there, um, it was sometime in the middle of summer or so, um, or actually it was earlier than that, but we were approaching summer and we didn't know what to do over summer. We were brand new. We didn't know what kind of events to do. We didn't know what kids liked. I still don't know what kids like. And I usually end up doing the opposite. Um, now, when uh, that first summer that we were in church, we decided to do this thing called Christmas in July. And that was exactly what it was. We decided to celebrate the birth of Christ in the middle of July. So we played Christmas games and all these different things. And obviously we used it as an opportunity to share the birth, life, death, and resurrection of a Savior. And we had a student who just reached out to us who said, and and I saw the event pop up on my social media with the graphic that I did that was so well. And um, I'm really not good at graphics. But, um, you know, I sent it to him. I was like, look, this was the first time we met you. And he said, if it wasn't for that event, obviously Christ, you know, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here today. So Christ draws people to himself. So those are the reasons that I share when anybody asks me for the reasons for the hope that I have in Christ. I can point to his mighty works and wonders and miracles um, that I've seen in my own life and in others. Now, one of the worst things that someone can do is refuse to repent and turn to Christ after seeing his mighty works and wonders. I'll show you where it says it in scripture in a moment. My good friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he was a German pastor and he resisted the Nazi influence during the Third Reich. And he calls this stupidity. Before I read the text he wrote, I have to offer some clarification. By the word stupid, he's not referring to any kind of cognitive delay. He's not referring to anybody's inability to read, write, and do arithmetic. In fact, he would go on to say that when one's eyes are open and they can see the objective and moral truth, they'll receive the kingdom faster than someone who has a high intelligence, but they're closing their eyes and they're shutting their ears, right? That's what he's saying. So it's not referring to um, any kind of cognitive ability, mainly just um, those who actually have the ability to see, but they cover their eyes, and those who have the ability to hear, but they're putting their fingers in their ears and they don't want to hear it. 
That's what he's referring to. I'm going to read a quote that he wrote in his letters and papers from prison. Stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. One may protest against evil. It can be exposed and, if need be, prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion and that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease. Against stupidity, we are defenseless. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's uh, prejudgment simply need not be believed. In such moments, the stupid person even becomes critical. And when facts are irrefutable, they are just pushed aside as inconsequential and as incidental. And all this, the stupid person, in contrast to the malicious one, is utterly self-satisfied and, being easily irritated, becomes dangerous by going on the attack. I'm gonna invite up Corbin. Corbin's gonna help me out with something really quick. He's got a little um, trick he's gonna do. He's gonna help me out with something. Um, but while he's walking up here, I wanna clarify. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer's talking about somebody who he claims as stupid, he's talking about, here, come on up here. I need your help. He's talking about someone who, though he has the ability to see is refusing to. Though they have the ability to hear, they're refusing to. So Corbin's gonna help me out with something. He's gonna blow a balloon for us. Now I've done this in youth group quite a bit, but I often use a chair, and I've had to change what I use from a chair because the students had a hard time understanding it. They were like, well, I can use a chair as a ladder, I can use it as a stool, and I'm like, no, you're not getting the point. It is a chair. And um, so I figured I would use something that you couldn't mistake. There's only one use for it. I don't even know what we use balloons for, but it's a balloon, all right? So everybody, what is this? All right. If you believe it's a balloon, raise your hand. Thank God Almighty. <laughs> all right. We'd always have one or two students that would like to play jokes and not get it. But I did, um, I've spoken this a lot. The students know where this is going. Um, because they live in a world where people will look at something and call it something completely different. Are y'all following me? Yeah. So this is a balloon, all right? Is this a unicorn? Is this a rhino? What is it? All right, is it a horse or a balloon? Right, no matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter how much you try to shape it, try to shape it and squeeze it and... Don't pop it, I only have two more. All right, yeah, no matter what you do, it's still a? Right, now let me show you what they did in Jesus's time, okay? In John chapter nine, Jesus healed a man born blind, right? Jesus did a miraculous work and wonder, like the balloon, we all agree that this is a balloon. Jesus did a mighty work, and you know what they said? If you look further in John chapter 9, um, those who refused to see actually claimed that he was not born blind, and they called in his parents to question him. So rather than saying God did a mighty work, which is an objective truth and reality, you know there's an objective truth. There's, there's a moral objective. It's not fluid. There is a truth, an, an absolute truth. There's an absolute morality. God did a miracle. Ah, uh, he wasn't really born blind. That's what the religious leaders and Pharisees were doing. They were calling this the elephant, right? God did a miracle. He wasn't born blind. That was, that was something that happened in the Bible. I'm going to show you another one. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus cast a demon out of a man. Those present said he used demons to cast them out. So there was an objective truth, balloon, right? Not an elephant, not a unicorn, not a rhino. This is a balloon. There was an objective truth. 
Jesus cast a demon out of the man. The religious leaders and those who were watching him didn't say that Jesus cast a demon out of him. They said he used demons to cast out demons. Even though it was a balloon, they were calling it a hippo. Even though it was a balloon, they were calling it a rhino. Even though Jesus cast a demon out of a person, they were calling it something completely different and saying that he used demons to cast out demons. Now, you know where this is also true too? In the world of sin. And this is normally what students and even the young adults will bring up when we talk about this. And this is why I talk about this all the time, because our students and our children and our young adults live in a world where there's a balloon. We can all agree that it's a balloon, but there are some people that are influencing others to, to think that this is not a balloon. Are you all following me? Yeah. I hope so. Listen, so what some people might do is instead of saying, this is a, this is a balloon, or um, those who disagree, those would be the ones who Bonhoeffer would say are morally stupid or spiritually blind. This is not a balloon. This is a unicorn. This is a rhino. This is a hippo, right? So it is not sin. It is just a mistake. Just a mistake. It's not sin, just a mistake. Another thing that they do is they'll say, um, this is not worshiping a false god. I'm merely pledging my complete allegiance to my political party. Right? It's not a false god. Just my complete, utter allegiance to my political party. This is not lying. This is not lying. I'm just fabricating the truth. I'm omitting some information. No matter how much you twist it and mold it, what is it at the end of the day? Balloon. Balloon. Sin at the end of the day. Lying. False God. No matter what you do, it is sin. Are you all following me? This is not idolatry. This is not worshiping an idol. It is pornography. It is alcoholism and drunkardness. That's what it is. It is a drug abuse. This is not adultery. It really wasn't even physical. It was just an emotional attachment. Are you all following me? This is not murder. We're just terminating a pregnancy. We live in a society and our generation, our students, our children live in a society where they're calling a balloon a unicorn. We're calling a balloon a rhino. Whatever you feel, whatever you want to make it be. But there is an objective truth and reality. This is not division in the church. This is merely an, uh, a restructuring of the organization, right? There's an objective truth and a, an objective reality. And I want to tell you, Jesus mourned over those who witnessed his works but refused to repent. Jesus mourned. He wept over the people in his life who would look at his mighty works and miracles and wonders and call them something else. Let's give Corbin a round of applause, everybody. Thank you. You can, you can keep the balloon. I want to tell you a quick story. It's in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus takes his disciples. He appoints them, making them apostles. And he commissions them to go out and gives them the authority over unclean spirits and to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to proclaim that the kingdom is at hand. He also compels them and commissions them to raise the dead, cleanse lepers. And this message was first intended for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Look closely at your Bible. He actually says, do not go. He, he says, do not go to the Samaritans. Do not go to the Gentiles. First, 
go to the lost sheep of Israel. So really what he's doing is he's commissioning his apostles to go to his original children. He's actually having them go to the Jews and the Pharisees and perform these signs and wonders, but they're refusing to accept it. In chapter 11, after sending the apostles, Jesus goes to perform a more private ministry and denounces the cities that witnessed his mighty works and refused to repent. Beginning in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In the Old Testament, when people would sin, when communities would sin, they would strip their clothing and they would put on sackcloth and cover themselves in ashes because they would mourn over their sin. They would say, we're not even worthy to do anything except lay down in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now Jesus describes this phenomenon more and the explanation of why he spoke in parables immediately after telling the parable of the sower. He says this in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Now here's the good news. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. But listen, let me show you what Jesus does. He reveals his mighty works and wonders and the greatest mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to the least expected. The least expected, he reveals this thing. I want to read this to you. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. There were people who were wise and understanding, who could perceive the kingdom of heaven and who had the ability to see what God was doing and had the ability to hear the truth, but they were closing their eyes and they were covering their ears because they did not want to accept that truth. When we look back at what Bonhoeffer says, this was stupidity. Now, Jesus healed the blind, allowing them to see the miracles faster than those who could see but refused. He healed the deaf and mute, allowing them to hear and speak about the kingdom's greatest mysteries. And this is an urgent message because Christ will return like a flash of lightning. One second, we'll be living our day-to-day -day lives, and in, a, in an instant, 
Christ will return in the glory of his Father with his angels to judge the world. Do you believe that, church? I hope so. Now, what I want you to do, I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to know, I spoke a lot about sin. And the truth is, if you have broken even one of the least of the laws, you've broken them all. But Christ redeemed us from sin. One becomes justified before God by grace through faith. And when you accept Christ and when you receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life, it is as if you have never sinned. Christ became the penalty of sin on the cross so that when we believe, we might have the righteousness of God. Whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. So what I want you to do, because I, I'll always share the gospel any chance I have to get up here. <clears throat> if you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life today, I just want to invite you to raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you. Amen. Now you can open your eyes. I want to, I want to say one more thing, and it's just simply this. We live in a world where there are many who, though they have the ability to see, they're closing their eyes, and though they have the ability to hear, they're covering their ears. And there's this story in Scripture that I find so compelling and a response of what we should do. It's from 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. It says this, Once when the king of Syria was wearing against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told to him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So what you see is the Syrian army is surrounding Israel. And there's chariots and they're ready to fight. And they're completely surrounded. And Elisha is telling them, there are more of us than there are of them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's why I share this. Because I want you to know that even though we live in a society where those in positions of influence are looking at yellow balloons and they're calling them horses and donkeys and whatever they feel is true, our God has the power and the will to open their eyes to dreams and visions and wonders and to call people to himself. And so honestly, this is more of a message of witness that we might think of those people in our lives who need their eyes open. 
Our God has the ability to physically heal people from blindness, and he even has a greater ability to heal people of a spiritual blindness. And we need to be a church who says, God, open his eyes. Open her eyes. God, this person is spiritually blind. Open his and her eyes so they might see your mighty works and wonders and call upon your name. There are so many people who would look. And there's so many things that are going on in our society where people are looking at the balloon and they're calling it whatever they feel. There's this distance from a moral and absolute truth and it's moving toward feelings and perceptions and opinions and we are straying further and further away from the truth concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do as a church is pray a congregational prayer. And so I want to invite you all to stand up. I don't know about you, but I have some people in my life who need their eyes opened. And so in a moment, I'm going to be down there too praying. But what I want you to do right where you are, if you have someone in your life who needs their eyes open, I just want to invite you to raise your hand and I want the people around you to begin to pray for those people specifically and say, God, open his eyes. God, open her eyes so that your mighty works and wonders might be revealed to them. Amen. Amen. Can we do that? right where you are. So if you see someone around you, go pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would open their eyes. Pray that God would allow them to see the truth. Pray that God would, would allow there to be dreams and visions of his son. Pray that God would reveal his truth to people. We believe that God can perform physical healing to the blind. But even more importantly, God needs to open the eyes of the spiritually blind in our society. So we want to lift them up in the name of Jesus and say, God, open his eyes. God, open her eyes. God, allow them to see dreams and visions and wonders of your son. Let's pray together.
Now, if you're bold and you're praying for a specific person, you might also pray, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit so I might have, so that I might have the gifts necessary to reach them. Because we can't do it on our own. So if you're praying for someone, your next prayer might be, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts that I need. God, give me the gifts to lay hands on someone and watch them be healed. God, give me a word of knowledge so that I might reveal truth to somebody that I would have no other way of knowing without the help of the King. God, give me the gift of wisdom so I might share a profound truth with someone. God, use me. That can be your prayer now. God, use me for your glory. Let's pray together and we're going to close. God, we just thank you. God, that you have the ability, the authority, and the will to open the eyes of the blind. I pray in Jesus' name that you would open blind eyes. God, that you would allow people to see your truth and be compelled to pursue you because of it. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would open ears. Father, let people hear your truth and be changed because of it. Father, I pray that you use us. God, give us the gifts that we need. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us so that we might have the gifts that we need to draw people to you. God, give us opportunities to share your mighty works. God, open our eyes to see the works that you've done in us. God, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.